Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. Bud, this should be a uh, should be a pretty fun podcast. Pretty positive, optimistic assessment of a position group that uh, Florida State matches up with uh, just about as well as anybody except maybe one school in the upstate of the South Carolina. So uh, we're going to be looking at the wide receivers today. A lot of different names to get to. Not a ton lost from last year's roster. Uh, by now, you'll have a pretty good idea as to how we try to go through this, give you an idea as to what you lost, what you bring bringing back. Uh, best case scenario for the position group. And uh, Bud, why don't we go ahead and jump into one of the groups that we think is uh, an absolute strength when it comes to the 2019 iteration of Florida State football. I'm all about it. Let's start talking about these receivers, and you can't talk about these receivers without talking about who you lost, and that was uh, Nyquan Murray. Kind of a addition by subtraction potentially here. A guy who, you know, teammate-wise and leader-wise, not what Florida State needed at the time. Maybe a guy you could put on your team once your culture was already good, but certainly not a guy you wanted around when it wasn't. And so losing him and his 85 targets, 54 catches, 744 yards – three touchdowns and his catch rate of 64%. Now, I'm not saying Murray was a bad player. He was not. Again, he was the most targeted player on the team. Part of that could be because DeAndre Francois liked to target him a whole lot. His marginal efficiency, though, uh, was actually the highest on on the team amongst the receivers with at least 20 catches, 5.2%. In comparison to Murray and Terry, who we'll talk about in a moment, just 3.0%. Now, Terry's explosiveness was double. Uh, of of Murray, so there's some give and take there. But we always ask, okay, how how big are these losses? And I'm I'm struggling to get real worked up over over the loss of Nyquan Murray for this offense. Oh man, Nyquan, uh, we will we will miss thee. I would uh, I believe at some point last year I labeled him uh, the most believable player on the roster, and by that I meant you tell me that uh, Nyquan Murray just juked five people and you know, scored a critical touchdown for you on a 39-yard reception, I can believe it. You tell me you can't run the offense because Nyquan Murray's busy flexing on a second-team defensive back after a five-yard gain, I can believe it. Uh, you, t- you tell me anything tied to Nyquan Murray by the end of his career, he was uh, capable of, of some nice moments and also just uh, just a unique individual who was certainly, as many wide receivers are, concerned about his own line of production but a guy that, uh, like you said, maybe maybe not something that you lose a whole lot other than the uh, the raw statistics that we referenced there. Louisiana Hot Sauce, bud, four years of us being able to brag on a fantastic product, great partner for us, uh, something that I use damn near every day, if not multiple times a day. Just want to thank them. This is our fourth season of working with them, like I mentioned, fourth season of position previews and everything else that we do. Hats off to the people at New Iberia. Thank you again for the opportunity to be able to work with you. Other than that, uh, not a whole lot else to talk about, so we will jump into what the Florida State uh, roster brings back and know where to start that conversation more appropriately than Tamori and Terry. He's a stud, man. I just he, he reminds me a little bit of like young Terrell Owens. Maybe not the same talent, but just in the style. The he's a big, thick receiver, but yet he's got a little more fluidity to his game than, than you might think. His catch rate is not amazing, forty eight percent, but yet his his depth of target was, I mean, consistently down the field, right? Like a, a big big guy who can go deep, who has that extra gear to get deep. I think we were really first kind of wowed by him when, when he chased down um, LeBourne in in that spring game two years ago. Remember that? Just the, it was like, ooh, mm-hmm. okay, that is – when somebody that big moves that fast, it, it catches your eye on a screen. And uh, he was Florida State's leader in yards per target, 10.2. I mean, again, the guy legitimately six foot four over 200 pounds as of this recording it has been out with a knee injury, but, but uh, all of Willie Taggart's comments have, have basically uh, been in, in the step of abundance of caution. We fully expect him back early and, uh, and, and he'll be practicing with us and everything's going to be all good there. So what a great fit too, in this offense, an offense that loves to push the ball deep and, after the year he had last year, he literally won several games at Florida State at the buzzer. You're going to have to think that opposing teams are are going to need to 
double him and and, and shade him and, and and play over the top of him. And because of the width that Florida State lines up its receivers, Terry, even if his numbers didn't go up at all this year, I still think he'd be even more effective with those same numbers simply because I do believe defenses are going to have to try try to put more attention on him this year. It's a, it's as exciting of a piece as there is on this year's roster as far as explosiveness. Uh, a guy that uh, you feel could play at, at almost anywhere in the country. Terry's a great find on the recruiting uh, just the recruiting map uh, kid out of South Central uh, Georgia there and a guy that uh, very much appears to be on the verge of having a breakout season. Uh, somebody that we've kind of talked about and perhaps even hoped that for for numerous near years now it feels like is Keith Gavin. And uh, correct me if I'm not right here, bud, but you, I almost feel like Gavin's got to uh, – Come out of the gate strong, because at some point there's just got there's a point of no return where a staff is going to make its decisions where it's better off spending its reps, and if it's uh, felt as though you become a lost cause, you even the opportunities to have a have a meaningful college career can can slip by you pretty quickly as you start to be in the final years of uh, of your scholarship. If not for copyright issues, we would be playing the uh, "Don't Get Fooled Again" song here, right? I don't have any problem with going down the Keith Gavin experiment again, but he has not shown an ability to catch the football. And it's not the same thing as Tamari and Terry, whereas Terry just has a bunch of these deep routes. Gavin has really struggled with drops so far in his career. Uh, Now he's a senior. I mean, the, the athleticism and the size is just off the charts, but yet some guys just don't catch the ball well. I'm not saying he can never learn to catch the ball or he can't do it, but so far he has not been able to catch the football. And you're going to see a lot of single coverage on the side of the field that is not Tamari and Terry's side. If if Gavin is your other other outside receiver, he needs to win one-on-one, bat- one-on-one battles and actually catch the football. Athletically, physically, he's probably – I mean, except for Terry, maybe the most impressive guy you could put out there. And yet, there's some guys who aren't that far behind from a physical perspective. If he doesn't catch the ball, I would expect it to be a pretty quick hook because you're going to put somebody else in there who might be able to come down with it. Again, Gavin last year, 48 targets, 26 catches, 415 in the yardage column, 54.2% catch rate, yards per target, 86 you know, mar- marginal explosiveness, just 0.29. So w- one of the worst on the team amongst guys w- with a decent number of catches. So, yeah, like th- as far as your outside receivers go, I think he's I think he's your top guy opposite Terry for now. But they got a scrimmage coming up and they have more practices coming up and they have that opening game against Boise. And this year, I think what they legitimately have is more options. <laughs> Time is nigh, Keith Gavin. Certainly, uh, hope hope and wish the best for you. I hope I hope it happens yeah. for him, man. He's always been a nice kid. Yeah, nice kid who looks like he's about a seven year NFL vet already. So uh, certainly has all the potential in the world, and hope that uh, twenty nineteen is the year where it all comes together for him. If not, names like Warren Thompson, Jordan Young, or two that will uh, maybe come to the forefront, even even in a more quicker manner. Yeah, Warren Thompson out of Armwood, the kid to break the Armwood curse as far as not landing any any top players from there for a long, long time. And, uh, man, I got to say, like, it does seem like he has turned a corner. I'm not saying he's the most consistent pass catcher because he's also had issues with drops in his high school and so far early in his college career. Actually, last rate, last year catch rate of zero, but that was 0 for 1. So I'm going to say statistically not a significant sample set for Warren Thompson. It's 6'3", 201, an imposing guy out there. Looks like he showed up in great shape. And he's been impressing so far with the exception of the occasional drop. I, I think he's another guy. Look, like Gavin, I mean, basically the entire analysis that I just gave for Gavin applies to Warren Thompson, except Warren Thompson's sample set of dropping the ball is a lot smaller than what Keith Gavin's is. So I'm a little more willing to believe that Thompson is going to catch the ball better. My skepticism is higher 
for Keith Gavin. Although I think the re- the reward for Keith Gavin ke- catching the ball consistently might be better because he is a little bit bigger and a little bit more physical. But Thompson is pretty damn physical and big too. So I wouldn't say that he is any slouch in the physicality department. Uh, I think he's learned to run routes better and and is has a better feeling for the position now, at least from what I'm told. And the main thing is just kind of the maturity. It seems like he kind of grew up after his freshman year on campus. Can it translate to catching the ball? That is a really important thing here. Somebody has to actually – I'm going to say this a lot. When you get that much single coverage and you have the ability to get wide open, like Kendall Brow's offense oftentimes produces some wide open shots, you can't have drops on those, especially not with the offensive line Florida State has. They're not going to give you that many times to catch those wide open balls just because the protection is going to be hard. Man, got to catch the ball. But I, I think if I told you that one of the two guys in Gavin or Thompson were going to con- consistently catch it, I think we would believe that, right? You certainly want to believe it. Absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, I would think that one of those two come together. I do. I don't think you're necessarily being a fanboy there. If they don't, uh, Jordan Young is, a, again, Jordan Young, super talented kid out of Metro Atlanta, Georgia, a track athlete in high school, a guy who has, uh, again, another big physical wide receiver with immense physical gifts and a ton of physical talent. This will be kind of kind of the first real year where you get a chance to see Young and how they incorporate him into the offense is one of the things that I'm, I'm honestly the most excited to see what uh, – how it plays out in 2019. A guy that uh, I think the sky's the limit and could be a perfect fit for an offense like this. You said it there, with sky's the limit. His ceiling is as high as anybody's on the team at the receiver position. Now, he is more raw than the other guys. Part of that is because he did miss uh, a lot of last year with injuries. But I'm really excited for him long-term. And I I do wonder if they're going to be able to work him in some this year. Uh, Browles has definitely shown an ability to put guys in uh, and, and, and rotate some receivers around at times. And I know we'll talk about that more when we talk about the coaching segment. But it, it's got to be hard for him not to want to put, put Jordan Young out there at least uh, at least somewhat. Just such a freaky athlete and, and what a leaper. And the, the ability to go up in the air and get the ball. Uh, but just need, needs more refinements as far as actually playing the receiver of the, the position of receiver, you know, technically. And obviously you have – Coach Ron Dugan's there to help him out. But I got to tell you, I do have a dark horse for the other outside receiver spot opposite Tamari and Terry. And that dark horse is, is a dude we don't talk about a whole lot. Ontario Wilson. Six foot, not this six foot three, six foot four beast, but every time I, I hear a word out of practice, it's, hey, Ontario Wilson doing pretty well. He's, he's making some plays. He's consistent. He's he's catching the ball. To me, he's not the highest ceiling player in this group for outside receiver. But man, I I could see him get, taking some reps if the other guys struggle because that he's a pretty high floor player at a position. Like we said, we think Florida State is pretty loaded here. Are you are you in on Wilson like I am? Yeah, uh, heard similar positive chatter. It looked nothing but really uh, positive things associated with this position group. I, I think it's. Uh, an area that Florida State fans can have very legitimate optimism and uh, excitement for. Trayshawn Harrison is, is a little bit of the the guy who is hard to pin down exactly where you're going to see him, maybe even positionally where you might see him uh, every once in a while. But hard to list. You could see him getting some work outside. Also, he could uh, see some inside snaps. A guy, again, when when you saw him, uh, in the open field at times last year, he looked as explosive as anybody on the roster. Uh, a talented kid who looks to be uh, in a place to hopefully bring a little more consistency to his game. I could see him be one of the one of the bigger offensive pieces for 2019 as well. Absolutely, with 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 Treshawn, his athleticism, the the explosiveness and size combo. Look, it just it demands. That he get the ball somehow. I mean, he's six two, a buck ninety something. He's a slasher, really great explosiveness. Whether it's bubble screens, you put him in the slot, you put him outside, you let you let him run run vertical routes, you put him in the backfield, you hand it to him or you pitch it out to him. Treshawn Harrison is one of those guys. And I'm not a huge believer in hey, get this guy touches. 
because I think that's a bit overrated, right? Like I don't like screwing up the the confines of your offense to do that typically. But I do think that you can work in Treshawn Harrison in a lot of different positions in this offense in order to get him touches. And I would like to see him get at least 50 touches this year. I think that really helps helps your offense. I mean, you, get, you let him touch the ball three, four, five times a game. Not only does the defense have to worry about it a little bit, but it, you're probably going to have good results when he does touch it because he is that special of an athlete, especially if you get him in space. Move to the uh, the inside options here. DJ Matthews and uh, Keyshawn Helton are the two guys that you first think of when you look at our slot wide receivers. Matthews at this point is a pretty well known product. Helton, uh, really productive summer. Kind of the again one of the more one of the more names that was kind of buzzed about as far as early production in camp. You got two really good options here. Also, two guys who seemingly have a pretty significant rapport with your quarterback. One of them is his roommate and uh, seemingly very good friend. One of them seemingly was uh, tied to the hip with your quarterback at every possible opportunity over the summer. So uh, two options that you think you're going to have pretty good rapport, pretty good chemistry, and uh, guys who could have breakout seasons of their own here. These dudes have got to be in hog heaven that they hired Kendall Browns, right? I mean, his success with slot receivers in this offense and their ability to attack vertically and to get lined up on safeties and and just – somehow end up wide open almost like uh you know you know when mario jumps down jumps down the tube and he just comes out the, comes out the other side and just nobody's around him like that right it's just boom both of these guys have really nice skill sets i think matthews actually might be a little bit better athlete than helton uh helton might have a little bit better feel for the game but florida state's going to be four wide fairly often i think and being able to use both these guys in the slot at the same time, man, that is going to put a lot of pressure on defenses if they can if they can pass protect at all. Which look, it's not guaranteed. I, I get that after last year, but you know the, the hopeful side of me says, damn, it, both these dudes have the ability to catch the ball. I think both of them have the ability to read the defense on the fly, which is what you're going to ask the slot receivers to do in this offense. And both of them, importantly, have the ability to cut and change direction at full speed or nearly full speed. And that is a big-time element of the slot receivers in this offense, especially when they're running that slot choice stuff. Create a lot of space both by stopping quickly when another person is moving it at full speed, so you create space that way, or by changing directions quickly when you're being trailed. So I'm really excited to see what this pair does. I think DJ and Helton – potentially uh, among the teams that run four wide a lot, this is probably going to be one of the better pairs of slot receivers, uh, not only in the ACC, and I don't want to go overboard here, but I, I really think it'll be one of the pairs of slots in the nation that, that really gets noticed. Take this time to thank our friends over at Madison Social for the uh, support they've given us since the inception of the NOLCAST. And also want to thank you, the listener. Proud to announce that we're not – Talking about selling any more tickets. Uh, in fact, they've all sold out for the Jacksonville tailgate. So just an incredible response from our listeners and uh, just the community in general. want to thank you for the support that you've given our sponsors in general, but particularly on this one. Uh, we're fortunate to be able to work with people like Madison Social and Matt and his team. And uh, you guys are put your, put your trust in great hands. Uh, hospitality professionals. Uh, and we all look forward to meeting end of August and uh, enjoying a sold-out tailgate and beginning of the football season. Almost 3,000 tickets. Nolcast listeners, y'all are awesome. You recognize a great product. And for those of y'all who didn't get tickets, we're, we are really sorry, but, but we can't say we didn't tell you. We've been promoting this all summer, and it's going to be a blast. We'll see you there. All right, bud, real quickly, we'll look at the third option. Uh, Demarcus Adams may not have uh, quite the hype that uh, Matthews or Helton does, but as you mentioned, uh, you're going to have a ton of four wide receiver sets uh, in this offense. Uh, going to have some opportunity for Adams, uh, maybe a guy that's not the first in mind when you think about Florida State's wide receivers, but also uh, a guy that at the end of the year, when we look back at production, could maybe have a little bit more of a statistical impact than people predict. Yeah, a really, really great straight-line speed guy. Adams is another dude who needs to work on catching the ball. But, gosh, like you got to figure they may be able to find a way to work him into the offense, too, because he's probably your fastest receiver, I would think. So, 
again, a, a really nice third slot to have. And you also have some guys, I believe, in the outside receiver position with the versatility to play slot, like potentially a Treshawn Harrison or or, or, or a, a Wilson. So a really nice receiver group here. And uh, again, it, it, it's I think a lot of the, the preference is going to come down to who can catch the ball. I, I will note that Miami, uh, where Ron Dugans came from last year, had a bit of a disturbing catch rate on what are classified as catchable balls, right? It, it, it was one of the worst catch rates on catchable balls in the ACC. Somebody brought up to me that Miami played a lot of rain games last year, and so that is potentially something to look at that, that could have could have hurt their rate compared to some others. Uh, but it's just a trend I hope doesn't continue. because I, I do think Ron Dugans is a good coach based on where he's been before, uh, but you don't want to see that in back-to-back years. But we also need to talk about uh, about tight ends. Yeah, tight ends, a lot of different uh, names here, and uh, this year will be pretty telling as to how some of this sorts out and guys find their roles or perhaps look elsewhere. Trey McKitty or Cam McDonald are the two uh, most prominent of the names that are on the roster. Uh, We'll start our conversation with McKitty as he does appear to perhaps be in the best place to contribute. Uh, But a guy who at times had some real nice moments last year uh, and a guy who... uh, when when was right looked like a a potentially pretty dangerous piece in this offense uh athletic tight end uh still has some some rawness associated with him but uh trey mckitty is uh is slowly developing into seemingly a pretty solid football player i agree with him to me i don't want to keep harping on the catch the ball thing but i don't know have you noticed it seems like like he picks the ball up late right Like, like it seems to get on him and get deep into his body faster than, than it than it should like he doesn't get his hands up in time I don't know that he tracks the ball all that well I, I don't think it's like an inability to actually catch it I just like to use a baseball reference here sometimes a guy who doesn't throw that hard all of a sudden he's getting a lot of swings late and it's like damn he must have some deception or, or, or he's just not able to see the ball off the pitcher's hand it seems like McKitty doesn't always see the ball very well out of the quarterback's hand I don't know. Maybe catching the ball from a different quarterback in in Blackman will will help him with this because everything else he does, I think he does, you know, pretty okay. Uh, and and is like you said, a really athletic guy. So certainly somebody they're going to depend on. They need all the help they can get uh, as well at the uh, at the tight end position to help out with the blocking too. So McKitty to me is your number one tight end. I don't think anybody really debates that. I just want to see how much he can catch the ball. Uh, compared to previous years. Uh, Cam McDonald is uh, the next kid that we'll give a second of conversation to. Also want to talk about uh, Alex Marshall as well here and even Gabe Neighbors. But uh, McDonald, real kind of, again, has some aspects of his game. that A lot of athleticism. Yeah, you're going to have to, you knew you were getting a raw product when you went and you got this kid out of poly uh, and still still working with him. But uh, potential here, definitely. He was definitely he's definitely better already. I, I think than I thought he was going to be. I think he can be a weapon for you in the future. I think he can be a decent player for you this year, perhaps in spots. I like his ability to go up and catch the football, which is going to be big in this offense potentially. And we'll see how much he has improved as a blocker. Early practice clips look pretty good. So that's not a bad one-two punch for a spread offense at, at tight end, considering there's not going to be a whole lot of times where you have two tight ends on the field at once. Marshall is a kid from uh, kind of the standard Northeast tight end that Florida State has uh, wanted to populate on their roster for uh, probably a better part of eight or nine years now. It seems uh, Marshall is a prospect that we mentioned might look to transfer if he doesn't uh, fit in with this uh, coaching staff and this uh, offense guy that I've heard some, some positive rumblings as far as what his camp has been so far. 6'7", 240, 250-ish, a little bit more of a prototypical tight end than the first two names that we've talked about. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know how well he fits in his offense. He's he's still out there. He's still working. If he's going to be a really good blocker for them, that, that'd that be really cool. Maybe I'll eat my words on this. I just I, I think that the other two really fit in a little bit better to, to this to this spread offense. We'll, we'll see. I, I don't think he's a bad player or anything, but but yeah, we'll see. And then the fourth, uh, Gabe Neighbors, who is is playing kind of that H back position. 
I think could be a good situational player for this year. We've seen some very impressive blocking clips from him at practice. He had one where he really blocked the heck out of Dontavious Jackson, who's a starting linebacker uh, for Florida State. And in the red zone, in situations where they do need to have you know, sort, sort of a sniffer, I think Gabe Neighbors, who's what is he? Is he a sophomore now, or, or, or excuse me, not a sophomore? Is he a senior now? I think yeah. I don't yeah, think he redshirt. So I, I think he is senior, a senior. But uh, yeah, I, I join you in the. I hard to even assign a position to Neighbors. I think he's just a situational player that has a a great ability to stick his nose in an area and be productive, get you one or two. Uh, real hard yards are more likely contribute to uh, to you know being a lead blocker in a situation where you need one or two uh, real hard yards. So he's, he's like you said more of an H back than anything else, uh, but a guy whose versatility and uh, kind of unique ability. I th- I think neighbors will see uh, see a decent amount of snaps this year uh, when we go back and, and look at uh, total snaps and wouldn't be a guys. Uh, would not be surprised to see neighbors get you know maybe maybe four to seven snaps a game depending on where they can fit him in. Absolutely, Resolution Home Loans is proud to be a sponsor of the Nolcast for yet another year and to help bring you these season preview episodes and hopefully make your August a little more enjoyable. They're also here to help you find a good home loan. Mine is through Resolution. Almost thirty Nolcast listeners have now used Resolution Home Loans to find their mortgage. That's the key. Working with Shannon Young, great customer service, great rates. He'll walk through the process, 844-FSU-LOAN, or visit FSUHomeLoans.com. Okay, so your guess is on starters, assuming Terry is healthy. Who who, who are your, your outside guys, your inside guys? I think we both agree at, uh, at tight end. Yeah, yeah, tight end. We're in agreement. Uh, I think if we start, uh, start uh, the season tomorrow and – Everybody's healthy and ready to go. I think at this point it's Terry, Gavin, Matthews, and Helton. But be fascinating to see. Like we said, going to be a little bit of a short leash on Keith Gavin at this point in his career. Uh, got to have some production tied to his name uh, at a level that he hasn't otherwise had, or otherwise there are an awful lot of young, very talented prospects that'll that'll eat up his reps pretty quickly. I, I think I'm right there with you, actually. So let's move on to uh, coaching talk, right? Some some coaching points that are very important this year uh, that I've noticed so far. Number one, have to block. That has been a big emphasis of practice. Florida State's blocking last year sometimes was shameful. I think receivers blocking is very much an effort thing. I think at times guys last year gave poor effort and didn't really care that they were blocking for one another. One of the more kind of not teammate type guys from last year's receiving core is now gone. So uh, that, that could be a little bit better. It's definitely something that Ron Dugans has has preached. And I, while we noted that his receivers last year dropped catchable balls too often, uh, his receivers at Miami did block and blocked well. And that could be a differentiating factor because they are going to need to be, be good in the screen game. And they're going to need to be able to run the ball on the perimeter uh, and, and use some of that receiver blocking to help them out. So blocking – is a major priority and something I think we will see improve this year for sure. A little bit more of a simplistic streamlined system. I know that was uh, sold to the collective fan base last year, uh, but uh, maybe this is no better representation of it than what you asked from your wide receivers. Uh, not as many routes, a lot of uh, a lot of vertical, a lot of go routes, and uh, you do have to read the, the defenses. I'm not trying to diminish that, but a, a more simplistic uh Approach that hopefully lets you lets you take advantage of uh, an area where you're talented just about anywhere. They they, they really they really are. I, I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see all, all the, the the downfield routes as well. This is an offense that likes to attack vertically. If you can get the pass protection, I think that can work. The one cool thing about this though that I will note is that a lot of these downfield routes are thrown fairly early because of the the spacing and the isolation concepts. You're able to pretty quickly determine if something's going to be open or at least if something's going to have one-on-one coverage. And so you might think, oh, my God, all these deep shot routes. How in the world is Florida State going to block for that? Why would you pick this scheme? Well, it's not traditionally like that, right? It's not, hey, let's take a seven-step drop and wait forever to get the guy down the field. It's a lot of balls that are, are honestly kind of lofted, and uh, and you do, you do require receivers to make good plays on them. Well, you got a bunch of – bunch of huge dudes on the outside who, who should be able to make some plays on them for you. 
uh, and and some slot receivers who can take advantage. It's not like you're throwing bullet passes uh, to use an NCAA reference there all the time. So I want to see these guys. They don't have to run quite as many types of routes in this offense. At times, they do have to read the defense, including the slot dudes, a lot and be in lockstep with the quarterback. But again, the spacing can't help with that. And that, that, that's that been a big-time emphasis this spring. But you know, Kendall Browse has installed this offense other places and had a lot of success with it immediately. Houston, FAU. Now, granted, the, the, the one kind of complicating factor here for me is that the, the gap in talent between the offensive line and the defensive lines that it has to place or uh, play is it's pretty significant and that makes it tough. But I, I think that th- this coaching staff with, with Bryles and Dugans are, are going to do a pretty good job with this. You want to go to questions? I'm just going to pull them off our Twitter since we just asked for them uh, tonight. Okay. First one comes from uh, beat Boise. That's a good. Good Twitter name over or under one and a half receivers get drafted this year. So your candidates would be Tamari and Terry, who we think is one. So I'm, I'm feeling, feeling really good about one so far. And then DJ Matthews, Keith Gavin, nobody else is eligible. So basically this is asking, do you think that one of Matthews or Gavin get drafted this year in addition to Terry? Yeah, I'll buy. I, I think that Keith Gavin does not go as an undrafted free agent. Uh, somebody will fall in that love. That size and, and athleticism? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly Exactly my thoughts. Okay. I, I'll go ahead and buy with you. I, I think that, that is really good reasoning, actually. The, the production may not be there, but the athleticism. Buy or sell. The screens average positive yards this year. <laughs> if you listen to our, our quarterback um, preview, they asked, will we still be throwing bubble screens? And we gave a pretty substantive answer on that. And... Uh, yeah, I think they will average positive yards this year. But they're really just something you throw to keep a defense in check, right? FSU managed to bungle them last year amazingly, but um, but they they should not have. Okay, here's a good one. Which receiver, not named Terry, uh, well, basically who will be the second leading receiver in terms of yards for this team this year? If you'd like some context for this question, I do have the yardage totals for the second best receiver in Bryles' offense in recent years, if you would like some help with this. Uh, yeah, I'll take the help, please. All right, so last year uh, at Houston, Keith Corbin, uh, 691 yards was the second leading receiver. Um, and then we go to 2017 FAU, 404 yards was actually the uh, the second leading receiver. Excuse me, no, 619 yards was the second best there at FAU. Then at Baylor in 2016, 809. A really big gap, by the way, between the first and second there, almost 50% gap. And then 881, that 2015 year at Baylor. That 2015 year at Baylor, by the way, they had a, they had a dude named Corey Coleman. He, uh, he didn't suck in college. And they also had a dude named Katie Cannon. So pretty nice combo there. I think it goes to show this is still a running offense. This is not going to be an offense where you have three guys catching 100 balls, right? If you listen to the running back preview, we went over, and I think this is one of the reasons why why Willie Taggart wanted Kendall Browse so bad is that he's a guy who wants to run the football, and Kendall Browse is also a guy who wants to run the football. So who do you have as your second leading receiver, and uh, do, do you have a yardage total for me? I might be uh, – I might be – Burned by the by the hype uh, and something I generally try to take pride in not letting that have happen. Uh, I'm going to go with with Helton as your second wide receiver when it comes to production, and uh, I'm going to put him somewhere around 730 yards. That's a really good number. Um, I was going to take I was also going to take Helton, but I think I'm going to switch it and go go with Matthews. Did you know that he is uh, Blackman's roommate? <laughs> I've, I've heard that. That is, uh, that's been mentioned in a story or two. Yeah, and I'll and I'll go with uh, I'll go with with 580 yards. I, I think the balls are going to be spread around a lot because they do have a lot of targets who they can really trust. What is the biggest difference in the new staff's work and approach with the receivers? Well, I think part of it is that they don't have to teach them quite as much about spacing and, and and how that works because this is the second bet 
or second second bet, geez, the second year um, that this has been been run, right? Uh, I think there's a greater emphasis this year on blocking and attention to detail as far as far as the blocking and blocking technique. And then there's there's fewer routes run now with a little bit more route adjustments. So I would say those three things are are probably the key. All right, uh, Iowa Noel asks, uh, what is it going to take to scheme these wide receivers wide open downfield this year? Well, I would say it would really help if teams did not have to only use four defenders. I was going to make a smart ass comment about your reference to the Mario uh, tunnel, but uh, no, your yours was a more <laughs> <laughs> a more fact based answer. So uh, why don't we go with that one? Yeah, I would just say uh, it would really help if teams couldn't like didn't have to only use four or five defenders to stop the run, and and which would allow them, of course, to play uh, seven or uh, or six guys in pass coverage. So. A little more balance, a little bit better run game. Not having a run game 114th in the nation to me is something that would be uh, be very beneficial. Actually making some defenses respect uh, at least the threat of the run a little bit would be uh, would be very good there. So that would probably be the question there. And then buy or sell in on this one. More than five receivers will have touchdown receptions in 2019. I'm gonna buy this again. Uh, this is this is one of the two units where I I have to uh, I have to kind of try to pump myself when it comes to some of the hyperbole or optimism or expectations surrounding the group, and maybe I haven't done that effectively. But uh, I I think that you see more than five recorded touchdown this year. Yeah, this is also a buy for me. Looking back, it happened last year at Houston. I believe it also happened at FAU. Let me check here. One, two, three, four. Five, six. Yep. Baylor the year before. One, two, three, four, five. Yep. Check mark there. Baylor the year before. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, that's definitely a check. And Corey Coleman caught 20 touchdowns in 2015. That's uh that's pretty impressive. I mean, Terry caught eight last year, and they all felt like the most important play of the year. 20 touchdowns is an awful lot of touchdowns. I think there's a lot to be excited about this group. And I'm excited to watch him get out there on the field. We're excited to be doing these previews, and we're excited to tell you about Travis Johnson, attorney at law. Travis Johnson is one of only 280 board-certified family law attorneys in the state of Florida. That's out of 110,000 licensed attorneys in Florida. There are a lot of them. He's one of the best. AV rated. He's on super lawyers. He's taught university classes. He's presented at CLEs. He has a statewide practice based in Pensacola, but will come to you anywhere you need in the state. From a small family law matter to big complex family law litigation, he's there for you. Also very experienced in, in appellate work. But remember, appellate work with family law can be difficult to win. Travis wants you to win the first time, 850-435-9919, to get experienced, quality family law representation. Travis Johnson of MetterJohnsonLaw.com. All right, bud, we're going to go ahead and rip this Band-Aid off, and that uh, is the Band-Aid of doing the Clemson look ahead. It's kind of taking the temperature of each program that Florida State plays, and this one, uh, you know, we may not drown you guys in details in, in breaking this preview down. I'm just looking back at last year's advanced box score. This might be the first time I've ever even looked at this because I was actually at the game. I felt like I almost didn't even need the advanced box score, and the amount of dark red all over this thing and then bright green. On the other side for uh, for Clemson, pretty incredible. The one that really stands out to me, and, and there are quite a few, we had a 14% rushing success rate for Florida State last year. 14% against Clemson, not not that good. Uh, passing markedly better at 22% uh, success rate. 22% on standard downs, so pretty bad when FSU was in a good spot. And uh, 16% on passing downs, so even worse, obviously, when they got behind the chains. Uh, no explosive plays really at all, uh, 0.64 ISO PPP. But here's the one that really gets you. Their average starting field position was their own 43. Florida State's was its own 23. So over the course of 17 drives, Clemson had a 345-yard advantage in, field, in starting field position. That is pretty effective if you're trying to blow somebody out. It is a really good way to do so. So my notes on offense, it literally says, and you have my notes here too, what, is it, what does it say there under the thing that says offense? Uh, improvement should be expected in all areas. Yay. Positive news for everybody. Yeah. That's, 
That's a little scary. Uh, they don't lose much at all. You can kind of argue they arrived a little bit early last year. Trevor Lawrence, maybe the best quarterback in the country. He just kind of he just kind of shake your head at what the guy does. I mean, he he makes throws that college quarterbacks don't. Kind of really changes how you have to play defense and makes it very difficult. After he became the starter last year, and they they played in games where he didn't get hurt, they basically just waxed everybody. Uh, there really weren't many close games. Best probably throw first quarterback in a long time. Probably the first guy we ever thought has a real chance to win back to back to back national titles as like a, a true freshman. Running back Travis Etienne is back. He's the best back in the ACC. Uh, they do have to replace forty five percent of their running back carries, so I don't know who the heck they're going to give the ball to when they're up by thirty. Probably uh, Lynn J. Dixon. I mean, I don't know. Ches Malusi is a nice back they signed. Their running back depth is a potential weakness. So if they start to get massive injuries at running back, they might have to just throw the ball on every single down. And they, they would still win games, but they might not win by as much, or they might not win all their games if that happens. Uh, they have the best receiving group in the country, I think, with T. Higgins and Justin Ross and Amari Rogers. They do have to replace another blocking tight end to replace Milan Richard. And this is something I've heard that they might actually be struggling with a little bit. So Clemson may run a little bit more four wide, which would probably be a problem if they didn't have such a damn good quarterback and if their first three receivers weren't also that good. Uh, they also signed a ridiculous receiver class last year, and they have some very experienced uh, backup receivers like DeAndre Overton and, and TJ Chase, guys who can – who can play. Uh, they should also actually be improved on the offensive line, they think, despite the fact that they lost Mitch Hyatt, who was a uh, consensus uh, All-American and a, a first-team All-ACC, but went undrafted. So a lot of people think he might have got on those, those All-American teams based on reputation, given the fact that he went undrafted. But they they returned a lot of experience and a lot of talent. And, uh, I mean, on their depth chart now, I'm just looking at the, the, the seniority Senior, 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 junior, senior, junior. That's pretty good. Yeah, and the the thing with Clemson is when you look, we're looking at them a couple years ago. You really looked at uh, the team and you thought, hey, look, if you can just kind of weather this storm and get some of the pieces that they have on the defensive line graduated or in the NFL once they decide to actually start collecting official paychecks for their services, that's kind of taken place. You've gotten Wilkins out, Lawrence out. Problems are, and there is going to be a fall off. I, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to make this something that's not, but Clemson has recruited everywhere incredibly well, but particularly along the defensive line that, yeah, there'll be a fall off and there'll be a lack of consistency. And you may lose some leadership that guys like Wilkinson provided, but it's not going to be a whole lot of fun for any offensive line to try to block the pieces that they still have in Clemson. No, it's it's really not. I mean, they, they've got a lot of guys who would start on, I think, every other team in the ACC. Uh, Xavier Thomas is the dude to know. He's probably going to be pretty much unhandleable. Is that a word? Unhandle, unhand, uh, difficult to handle. He will be very difficult to handle immediately for almost any offensive tackle in the ACC. And I don't think Florida State has anybody on the edge who can block him. I mean, I think he would smoke, probably smoke Williams and, and Reynolds and and – I mean, name your guy, right? Like, I think high school version of Xavier Thomas would, would smoke some of the some of the tackles. Four State's going to run out there. They have some experience behind these guys that they were able to, to pull them a lot last year. KJ Henry is another dude they signed a Richard freshman. I, I like his upside a lot. Niles Pinckney is probably going to be their top defensive tackle. That may be a spot this year where they're not quite as good, right? Like, I don't know that their D tackles this year are going to be dominant like they had last year. Last year, when you had all four of the D linemen on the field, David Hale is a good blog about this, but basically when they were all four on the field last year, they were like one of the best de- one of the best defenses in history as far as snaps like that. Now, I'm not saying the overall defense was, although they were, I mean, what did they rate last year? Number three in the nation. That's, that's not bad. Yeah, number one red zone defense, number eight in explosiveness prevention, number four in efficiency. So, yeah, you know, that's that'll work. Uh, linebacker, they do have to replace some some guys here who were very good. This is maybe a spot where they're a little bit weaker. Tra- Trey Lamar is gone. Kendall Joseph is gone. J.D. Davis is gone. Shaq Smith transferred to, I think, Maryland, which makes me kind of wonder, like, was he not going to start? Because why would you transfer to Maryland? Because I thought he was slated to start, and then he transferred. So that kind of scares me a little bit. Like, who do they have that was going to replace Shaq Smith? But they have recruited this position pretty well. 
in reading the reports, they seem to feel pretty good about what they have. Uh, I'm just, I think this position on the defense is is probably going to take a little bit of a step back. It's a well coached unit. This is what Venables oftentimes coaches and, and does really well with it. Isaiah Simmons, if you want to include him as a linebacker, is one of the best defensive players in the ACC. He's kind of like a hybrid nickel backer. I mean, he's 6'4", two and a quarter listed, so he's basically a backer. They kind of list him as like a nickel, so he's included in, in the, the DBs and a lot of these write-ups. But I just I don't know that they're actually going to get tested at all in ACC play. This might be a part of this team that, and granted, they're going to have a whole lot of time to get right before the playoff, which I assume they will. They're like one to six to make the playoff, if you want to put your money down for that long. No thank you for that kind of return. But this might be a, a, like an area of this team where we don't even know about until they get to the playoff because they really won't have any played anybody who can actually expose them and, and really expose their linebackers that much. The secondary is so good that they're going to give a lot of protection. And uh, like, as you mentioned, it may not be something that we know about till the playoff. But at, at that point, it may be a unit that's able to be kind of nursed along and, and come online that they're uh, you know, playing at a level that uh, allows them to be as competitive as anybody in the country. There's just a lot of a lot of pieces here in general all over this roster. Uh, I know a lot of last year's class was uh, defensive driven. So it's a lot. I think they signed. I think 16 or 18 of the kids they signed, I can't remember exactly, uh, were defensive prospects in last year's class. And, uh, yeah, you mentioned uh, Simmons, who's just a playmaker, regardless of where you put him. Simmons and Turner, both really good players. A.J. Terrell so all-conference, potential All-American type. Clemson is really, really good and good enough in the back four to probably let the front seven kind of come grow into their own and, and get comfortable with what's being asked of them. Yeah, this is uh... – it should be a really good defense. Now, Edgar, one area where I'm not really sure if they're going to be any better, but it'd be hard to be worse. Their special teams last year were, were, were terrible. They were 95th in special teams, which is pretty surprising. I would expect to step back on the D-line, maybe the linebackers, special teams probably a little bit better. This is going to be a different kind of team, don't you think, like, like personality-wise, but also like last year the defense largely carried that team up until maybe the Bama game. And they even in that game they, they had a pick six. But could you think of a better situation in which you had to break in a new defense that wants to play aggressively? Like this offense is going to score all the time. This defense is going to play with the lead very often. So I'm not really sure, you know, how often are they going to have to play with, with three linebackers on the field? They're probably going to play a ton of nickel and dime because teams are going to have to try and spread it out and throw the ball and, and try to try to come back in these games when they're down two and three and four and five and six scores. It's kind of crazy we have to say that many scores, but that's legit. I mean, I I posed a question on Twitter. Would an all-ACC team that doesn't have Clemson players on it be better than, than this Clemson team? Now, over the course of the entire season, there's no doubt you take the ACC team because of the depth, I think, right? But in a single game, I think this, this Clemson team would beat the ACC All-Star team. Yeah, I think they would. I mean, there's just too many pieces, too many pieces that are just at a higher level than too many other players in the conference. And it's it's wild to see what Clemson's done. I think this year you acknowledge what they're going to do, but maybe you look at it more and see if, you, see if uh, you start to see any kind of cracks in the culture. See if all these guys that are four or five-star prospects maybe, you know, start to uh, – to deviate a little bit from the the message and the cultural buy-in that's existed up there. Because otherwise, there's not a whole lot of reasons to think that Clemson's not going to do exactly what Clemson's done uh, the past couple of years. They opened the season uh, with Georgia Tech. That's a program, and that's also the first ACC Network game, I'll note. But that's a program that's leaving a triple option and has all kinds of mismatched personnel. Uh, it's really the game in, in week two that you look at and have uh, – you get an idea that maybe you'll you'll find out a little bit more about this team. Texas A&M comes to town, but there's there's not a whole lot of places in this schedule that you look and you find times where Clemson's going to be challenged in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, how many guys from Florida State start start on Clemson's team? This isn't going to make me popular with our listening audience, but I would be telling you that I'd probably be homeristic to go north of one. Marvin, and then, and then nobody else. And we're taking away special teams uh, from this conversation. Marvin's the only, in my opinion, sure thing. I think you're right. And I love I love Tamarian, but he's not going to beat Ross or Higgins. And you're not going to use him in the slot. And, okay, look, if they had Tamarian on the team, I think they would go four wide a lot more. But he would not crack their standard starting lineup, I, I don't think. 
Do you want to know what the advanced stats say as far as what the margin in this game will be? Yeah, I was going to just give people Clemson's win probability this year. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty ridiculous <laughs> looking at it. Georgia Tech's 98%. We'll get ready for this one, folks. We drop all the way down to 79 for Texas A&M, uh, second lowest you'll see all year. 91 at Clemson, 100% at Charlotte. 92 at North Carolina, 89 at Florida State, 96 Louisville, 97 Boston College. 100 against Wofford, 89 at NC State, 95% against Wake Forest, and traveling to South Carolina is a win probability of 77% at this point. And I personally think that's being a little bit uh, a little bit friendly to the Gamecocks there. Completely agree. By the way, they also give Clemson a bye before Florida State comes to town. Florida State also has a bye. I'm not entirely sure that this is where Florida State would have placed the bye if they could. In fact, I think they would rather have it the week after. You know, so they could kind of regroup. You think they scheduled it just because that's the request we've made for like the past seven years now? And they just figured that was, uh, that was what it was going to be? I can't believe that Clemson gets to play the two worst teams in the Coastal. And probably the two worst by far in the Coastal, unless you think Duke's going to be like really, really bad. So here's a question for you. You're Willie Taggart. You're sitting down with, with Coach Browles and Coach Barnett. And during the bye week, you have three really important games Honestly, four really important games after the bye, after the bye week after Clemson at Wake, Syracuse, Miami, and BC. Are you spending any extra time on Clemson? Because I would just punt the hell out of that game. No, I mean you try to get you guys ready. You have a bye week. You get them ready uh, physically. Look, you're gonna get. You saw last year you're even lose this mismatch as, as the teams. You're gonna lose big. But you're going to get a good effort. You're going to get guys that come out as focused as maybe you do all year. But I don't think you you waste a lot of time scheming up for that game. The, the NC State's the game that hopefully you've come off a win and you're in a good place and you can build and you can have buy-in talking about getting ready for Syracuse, getting ready for Miami, and getting ready for Boston College. I think that's what you spend your bye week on. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you there, especially if you can find some commonalities between those teams. All right. So that's uh, that's that. That's Clemson.